Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Everybody's kind of going, Gunner, it's February, not December. This week, as we were, today we're in Luke chapter 2, and as, as, we were, as Rick was preparing the music, um, he always kind of reads over the text and tries to, to find something that fits with the text. And he emailed me and said, okay, Gunner, it took all of my strength not to insert any Christmas carols in there. Yeah. <laughs> And I said, I emailed back and I said, no, man, we need to put in, well, we'll put in a Christmas carol. The thing is, is that Christmas kind of hijacked Jesus's birth. And, and today's story, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, is probably the me- most read scripture of all of the texts. Because every Christmas around the world, people go to the gospel of Luke chapter 2 because he gives the most kind of exhaustive description of the actual story um and so churches go there all around the world and they read the story and so it's hard coming to this text and and going well how do i deal with this text it's not christmas and we didn't do this at christmas because we did something else and so now we're we're going to look at this chapter this this these few verses and really the question is is obviously this text is important because God put it in the Bible. There's a lot of different variant stories on how Christmas originated, um, but the earliest you can really go back is maybe the 1500s. And so this text existed for a long time, and, and God gave it to us for a reason. And so today I want to look at it and hopefully help us to understand this. Um, in, in a way, it's almost appropriate today's the Super Bowl. And... The Super Bowl, I think, where's uh, my, my sports guy's gone. Uh, I think the Lombardi Trophy is awarded at the end of the Super Bowl. Is that correct? It is. And Lombardi was the coach of the Green Bay Packers, who is in the Super Bowl, who I'm not going for, for those evil looks out there that I'm getting. I actually don't care about either team in the Super Bowl. I will end up going for whoever's like the underdog most likely. Um, or which one, everyone causes the most friction and the, the, you know, the jesting. But he is, one of the things he's famous for is in a group at the beginning of the season, I don't know if he did this every year or if it was a one-time thing, but in the midst of all of his players, high-level professional football players, he would hold up a football to them. And he'd say, gentlemen, this is a football. We're going to go back to, to square one. I don't care that you guys are, you know, paid thousands of dollars for the sport. You're all better football players than I am. He's like, we're going to start with the basics. And so today, I kind of want to be like Lombardi. Church, this is Jesus. This is baby Jesus. Square one. And we'll kind of go from there. It's really, this is like the, the meat and potatoes for you from the Midwest. It's the jugular vein for the medical people. Jesus is at the heart of Christianity. And so today, I hope to convey the essentials. There's so much in this text that we can kind of take tangents on. And I've decided as I was sorting through the commentators this week to just get to this is Jesus. Let's not get on all these rabbit trails. Let's just focus on why did God put this story in the Bible? And so we're going to pray and we'll read the text. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this story. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And so, Father, as we study this text, as we begin to go to work here, We pray, Lord, that your spirit would illuminate the meaning of the text. 
Father, we ask that you would soften our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would almost erase our memory of this story right now, that we would come to it afresh. Lord, we pray that you would meet each one of us, Lord, right where we are. Lord, that we would come to know who Jesus is, that we would grow in our understanding of him. And Lord, that you would um, sharpen us as your children. We pray for those, Lord, here that maybe don't know Jesus. Lord, we pray that, Lord, as the story is told, I pray that you would help um, clarity of the message to come out, that we would rightly understand, Lord, the gospel. Lord, we thank you for this day. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they'd seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. And so the story begins with a new sort of, like a mile marker. Luke, for us, gives us a sort of a a time stamp in history that this story happens. Um, If we go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 3, this is the introduction that Luke gives. And he, in essence, says, just as they were handed down to us by eyewitnesses, he said, the things that happened during their generation that Jesus was born, he lived, he walked, he died, He rose and then he ascended into heaven. That this happened in front of all kind of people. Luke was not one of the people who saw these things. But there were all kind of witnesses who started writing and compiling. And then in verse 4 or verse 3 it says, 
He said that it seemed fitting for him, having investigated everything carefully, he began to investigate, to research, to document everything that had happened. And then he says in verse 4 that he wrote this out so that he might know, that Theophilus might know the exact truth about the things that you've been taught. So the whole purpose of the Gospel of Luke and Acts is really to edify, equip, um, help Christians understand the truth about the story of the gospel. And so as we get into the story, in verse 5 of chapter 1, he begins by saying, in the days of Herod. And so all of the readers would understood, okay, when Zacharias was in the temple, this was during the reign of Herod the king, we understood the context, the story. And so today's story is he begins, you know, nine, well, this would really be, but 15 months later from, from King Herod, he begins to say, Now in those days, chapter 2, verse 1, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. So the guy that was in charge of the whole Roman government, which was the known world at that time, a decree went out that a census should be made. And for those that were reading the story that were in Jerusalem, they said the census was taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So he was the guy that was responsible for Israel, and it was his first census. Now, we know from Scripture that censuses were taken for two reasons. We just went through it in our own nation. And in many respects, they're, still, they're done for the same reason. The first is this was a way for the ultimate leader to get a pulse of how many men were available for combat. As he took the numbers, he would get back in all of his dominion. He would know, okay, I have this many men of fighting age. And so if I need to attack or I need to do something, this, these are my resources to draw from. The second reason was for taxes. These are all the people are there. I know how to to basically to milk them for as much money that I can build things, that I can forward advance my kingdom. And so this would be the motivation for the census. And so as this happened in verse 3, we read that everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And so the next slide here, we're going to look at just the map, um, a little orientation to Israel. So up north in Israel, we have the Sea of Galilee. There's a river that runs north-south, the, the Jordan River, and then you have the Dead Sea down here. Up north, this whole region is Galilee. The middle region is Samaria. The bottom region is Judea. There's a little town in the hills. This was a know-nothing town that was very similar, in my opinion, to Buttonwillow, California. It's a pit stop where you gas up your car, get a couple ba- a bag of Doritos, and then you continue your journey. This was a pit stop place. They'd fill up their camels, they'd spend the night, and they'd continue on. There was nothing there. Town, 50, 100 people, poor. Mary and Joseph are there. They get the word that there's a census. They need to carry out the census. And so they make the journey south down to Bethlehem, which is right here in the outskirts of Jerusalem. They make the 80-mile journey. Who knows how long it took them? A healthy person, it would take three days of just you're, you're pushing out, you're walking as fast as you can. Joseph had a wife that was about nine months pregnant. In my own experience, they probably had to stop to go to the bathroom a little more frequently 
They had to stop to get water, to stay hydrated. They needed, it's not to my wife. We all have seen pregnant ladies. We've, they just, you just need to stretch out the back. I mean, it's at the point where it's like, come on, I'm ready for this thing to get out of here. Like, you know that God had worked in a way that pregnancy gets so uncomfortable that delivery seems like not a big deal because it's, it would be less painful. I'm getting myself into trouble here. But she's like, you know, I have her like waddling down the road on the donkey, like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable. I need to take a break. <laughs> I'm in so much trouble. But I want us to see the picture. This is Joseph with this, this, I mean, Mary is now very pregnant. It's obvious to everybody. You were safe almost at this point to ask. They make the journey down there. They're of the, the Davidic lineage. David's city in Bethlehem, they go to register. And as they go there, most of Scripture from the beginning to the end, we see promise. God makes a promise. Years pass. And then there's fulfillment. Bethlehem is, is, pro, is a prophetic fulfillment, wait, a, ful, a fulfillment of prophecy. In Micah 5.2, I'm not going to go there. It says that the Messiah will come through Bethlehem. You can remember this because Micah 5.2 and Matthew 2.5, the numbers 5.2.2.5. It's fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2, verse 5. It's fulfilled here. They end up in Bethlehem. God, many, many years before, Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah, so we're looking at 700 plus years prior to the birth of Christ. He says in Isaiah, a child will come of a virgin. Come, be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. It's amazing. It's all being fulfilled here. And so then verse 6, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So that's the, that's the story. Very simple. Here, Jesus, moms miraculously conceived, gets pregnant, has the baby. They're in an inn. They're poor, 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 poor. She's young, kind of 12, 13, 14 when the angel appeared. I've been warning Emily for a long time, but like Emily's 12. So she's like on the younger cusp of what we're dealing with. We're talking about a very young child. 14, 15. Sometimes in our culture, 30 can be a very young child. <laughs> but it's a young person. That, that, that really a young lady, Anna said, it's a young lady because the responsibility that God gave her and the maturity that she handled it is overwhelming. She has the baby. Luke kind of stops. And I want to guard against, we read this. You know, we kind of come into existence when we're conceived. Then we're born nine months later. And then we kind of have our first recollection of any sort of life around two, three, four. You know, like I think my earliest memory in my life was about two and a half, maybe three. Some it's four. And so we kind of take our own lives and we project them onto Jesus. And we think, oh, Jesus came into existence at conception. And this birth is his first like exposure to the whole world. And in order to offset this, I want to get us an accurate understanding of the birth of Jesus. And it's when we start looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and their telling of the birth of Jesus, they each take a very different approach. 
Matthew is very slanted towards presenting Jesus as the Messiah to the Jewish people. So he's very concerned with showing prophecy, fulfillment, his birth lineage. Mark is writing to Romans. And he just like, everything is immediately. He starts with Jesus' earthly ministry, kind of bypasses the whole birth. Now, John, I want us to go to. John helps us understand kind of God's perception of the birth of Jesus. And so if you want to turn with me to over to John chapter 1, and John begins with his telling of this story. We're going to look at the first 14 verses here. And John writes, he's writing to philosophers, those with a, a very different sort of ideology. And he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so he starts at the beginning. Going to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth. And he says, in the beginning, when the earth, the world as we know was created, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he's pointing, this word is Jesus. He's saying, when the earth was created back then, before creation, before anything, in eternity past, Jesus existed. He was. And we'll see this more in this text. So he's going back then, in the beginning, before anything, he existed in eternity as God. Not one of many gods, as God exclusively, the triunity of God. Verse 3, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So back here, before the world, before creation was created, John tells us that Jesus was God and he existed. And then when creation came into being, Jesus was the agent who created everything. And Colossians chapter 2 tells us that all things are created by him and through him. Jesus is God, creator, sustainer of the entire world, the universe, all things. Every breath that we have, he's sustaining our life. And then he goes to verse 6, and he talks, starts talking about John the Baptist. He says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. And so John the Baptist, the forerunner, we looked at his birth last week. His whole purpose was to point towards Jesus, that he's the Savior of the world. Believe in him. This is where there's life. He goes on to say, verse 9, There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made known through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, that's the Jewish people, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So here, John saying, hear the word, God, eternal. He became man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. John was Jesus's like little kid brother. He was the youngest of all the apostles. And, and he's going, he existed. God existed. I could touch him. I could fill him. We saw him with our own eyes. And we saw his glory, glory 
as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he said, as we walked with Jesus, as we saw Jesus, if you want to understand what God looks like, Jesus in the flesh is the closest thing that we as humans can, can grasp the picture of God, that he was the closest reflection of God that we as humans could understand. This is powerful. John starts from up here down to like, man, we're, here we are. We're just humans. We can't really comprehend God. But that God came and dwelt among us and he lived his life and his life reflected who God was so that we could get a picture of who God is. And so when we come back to Luke, as we're in Luke chapter 2, a problem, and there are denominations that are outside of the Christian faith, although they would claim to be inside the Christian faith, they would say that Jesus was born a man and then he became God. And like him, we can become God. That's a false understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus was in heaven, creation. He created the world. He always existed. Some 2,000 years, fulfilling of prophecy, Mary conceives as a virgin, gives birth to Jesus. Jesus was God. He totally got everything that was happening to him during the whole birthing process being born. He was God that became man. He's not man who became God. And so here he is. He humbled himself. Philippians in chapter 2, it talks about that Jesus being God humbled himself. And that word in the Greek is kenosis. So if you ever hear this term like, oh, the kenosis of Jesus, it means that Jesus being God, he restricted some of his, his attributes, his ability to do things. And so here he is. He's just born. There's Mary, her first child. She's not an experienced mother. Here, the guy who created or the, you know, the deity who created all things, suddenly for the first time in his life, is hungry. How do babies let you know that they need to f- be fed? Ah! Ah! <laughs> Starts crying, screaming. Brand new mom. I don't know how this whole nursing thing works out. I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. And here he subjected himself to what we go through. He's God. Creator, sustainer of the universe. But he chose to become like us. And then in Hebrews we're told. That you know we don't have a high priest. That doesn't understand. But has been tempted in every way. But without sin. And so we call out to God. He understands what we've gone through. What we're going through. Our struggles. Our trials. Our tribulations. He knows. And this story is about as polarized as you can come. We go from Caesar Augustus to Quirinius. These guys that were very wealthy, powerful, had everything. And here, the creator and sustainer of the universe is born to a poor peasant girl with nothing. He doesn't even have a place to stay. He's in a barn. And we've kind of created this into like a nice barn. This is like there'd be manure, animals, messiness. Creator and sustainer of the universe, yet he humbled himself into this environment. We know that they're poor because the next story, when they go to the temple, they're going to offer a pigeon. And this was sort of a, 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 a place in the law so that all people could worship. The very poorest of the poor say, hey, yeah, we'll provide rats for you so you can make a sacrifice with a rat, you know, just so you can worship. And so the story picks up back in Luke. God becomes man, he's born. And as this happens, we read that out in the fields, 
In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. We celebrate Christmas December 25th. We have no idea when Jesus was born. There's all kind of theories. Like, I'm not even going to go into the theories because for every one theory, there's another theory. And so, basically, Jesus was born sometime between January 1st and December 31st is my answer. And it really, I'm not even going to get into the discussion because it takes away, in some respects, from the power of this. And so here he's born. There's shepherds out in the middle field. These are like guys, do, they're, they're watching the sheep, insignificant people. And then God kind of pulls the story together through these men. So in the same region, there were shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. So here they are in the field, looking at the stars, trying to stay awake, trying to protect from the wolves and the things that were going to eat up their sheep. The guys are going, bah, bah, bah. Oh, this is boring. There's the sun coming up. I'm getting kind of hungry. Hey, man, you got any more trail mix? Like whatever they do, like shepherds do to kind of keep themselves awake through the night so they can protect their animals. All of a sudden, we're told that an angel appears. And now, it doesn't say who, but in the previous story, that Gabriel's kind of been very involved. And obviously, he's a pretty intimidating character. He comes with the glory of God, this angel. There's no question in their mind. Is this a UFO? What is it? No, it's an, this is from God, an angel. They're terrified, which is a very normal and healthy reaction when you encounter God. They're terrified. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. I have that part highlighted. See the message of Jesus coming. It brings great joy and it's for all people. He said, this is what's happening in your guys' midst is amazing. He goes on to say, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. See, now notice it doesn't say, oh, Jesus has been born. He gives three sort of titles. First is savior. When we start looking at who Jesus is, Paul, when he's trying to bring up Timothy in 1 Timothy 115, it's up there. He says, for it's a trustworthy statement. There's five of them through the books of Timothy. And he says, of the utmost importance deserving a full acceptance by everybody jesus came to save sinners of who i am the foremost of all this is paul writing the bible and they begin by giving title savior that's one who saves jesus is going to save the world from their sins who is christ that's the greek term for messiah he's the anointed one the one that was promised all the way back in genesis three fifteen. Rick read from Isaiah 7, 14, 700 years beforehand that a child will be born from a virgin. You'll call his name Emmanuel. Micah 5, 2 says, in Bethlehem, the Messiah will come. All of these prophetic promises are now being fulfilled in their midst. And he says, Christ the Lord. This goes to authority. Jesus is creator and sustainer of the universe. Philippians 2 tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. You can do this in worship of him or if you've denied him, you fall down and you confess him as Lord because he's God. There's no, he's God. We don't make the rules. 
In verse 12, they say, the angel says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. And as he says this, it's just one angel. Then all of a sudden, the next verse, like, there's no way for us to comprehend this. I've never seen it personally. I tried Googling it, and there's no way you can Google this event. But it's like heaven cracks open, and these shepherds see a host of angels, tons, thousands, angels worshiping and praising the Lord. This is, I would venture to say this is probably the most significant night these shepherds have ever had out in the fields. And we read in verse 13, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. These, these shepherds are blown away. They just received this announcement that the Messiah has come. They've been told where they can find the Messiah. They get a glimpse into heaven. I don't think these guys were ever the same. In verse 15, it says, When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem. <laughs> of course, hey guys, let's, um, these sheep can just take care of themselves. <laughs> let's get the town. We've, this is, we've got to get there like yesterday. And so they take off. Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened with which the Lord made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in a manger. When they'd seen this, they made known the statement with which he had told them about this child. And I love this. These guys find, here's Mary, hours after having a baby. Ladies that have, you know, as a pastor, I'm, I often get to go there right after the baby. And most girls are not cool with, like, visitors, for, like, right after the baby's just been had. And this is, like, in a barn, you know, like, nastiness. And all of a sudden, there's Mary. Her and Joseph are the only ones that truly, like, understand that their son, Jesus, came from God that was God. People would ridicule Mary all of her life. They would call Jesus an illegitimate child, they would call her, you know, a loose woman. And there would always be speculation over the birth of Jesus. They're the only two that knew. And all of a sudden, here come these shepherds, a bunch of cowboys, you know, like, yeehaw, Jesus is born. They, I bet they have a huge crowd coming come with them. They've been announcing it. So now there's this huge crowd. And we're told in verse 17, when they saw this, they began sharing the story what the angels told them. So when they made known the statement which had been told about this Christ, they come in to Mary, who's trying to figure things out. Here's Jesus, who's God, in the flesh, made a child. And these guys are saying, this is the Savior, Christ, the Lord. And we're told in verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at these things. So I just picture this crowd that's coming around. Them. Mary's like, man, I just had this baby. Like, she had a baby. It wasn't like... She's in pain. She's hurting. She's still kind of going through stuff, trying to figure out how to nurse this baby. Jesus still trying to figure things out. He suffered just as like we did. And now there's this huge crowd. This is Christ. This is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And then we're told in verse 19 that Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Can you imagine? I mean, to have a child. You know, this week, you know, 
Like we've really been kind of stretching out Grace's birthday. It's like, oh, this is the last Sunday you'll have as a four-year-old. This is the last Monday you're going to have. You know, we're, we're dragging it out. And so all week, you know, she's like, Dad, will you tell me the story of when I was born? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll tell you the story. And then I get to the part where she'd just been born. And she looked around for a couple hours, like just bright-eyed. And I'm like, oh, I just sat there and looked in your eyes. And it was like the craziest feeling as a dad to see these little eyes looking around. They go, oh, this is a little bit of me and a little bit of, you know, Anna. And like, who's this kid going to be? Like, it felt like a stranger, but to the awe of seeing this little child looking around. And can you imagine, like, Mary alone just holding little baby Jesus as mom. She knew he's God. She was a virgin. This is God. This is the promised Messiah. Like, there's enough fear raising a child. Like, in our culture, there's like, oh, kids are so expensive. Can you imagine the pressure of being responsible for raising God? <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to mess him up. <laughs> No, you're not going to mess up God. But she's pondering this. Like, over the last year, her whole life got transformed. She was due to get married, do everything right. All of a sudden, she finds out she's going to be pregnant. Her wedding, everything just changed. She has plenty to ponder. And we're told that the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they heard and seen, just as Jesus had told, just has been told to them. And so they go away praising. And in this story, you know, the conclusion here, I'll turn to my last page. The conclusion, don't get your hopes up. It's going to take a little bit. We got a lot of verses to cover. <laughs> we got through the story. But some things I want us to take away, like in this story, what, like every week, like today when I finish, I'll read next week's text. Like I've already read it and I'm already asking myself, the big question I ask myself is, so what? Like, why does this matter? How does this affect us? Like, what is this? deal with our lives. And as I look at this one, the first one, as we look at the birth of Jesus, there's no way for us quite to fully grasp this this concept that Jesus is fully God, fully man, that he existed in eternity past. But to understand that here's this young baby for the first time who created the whole world suddenly is hungry. This week on Tuesday... You know, I've, I've had a long-range plan as, I, as I've been doing the Sheriff Chaplain stuff to where I feel like I'm uniquely called and gifted to kind of deal with the SWAT team. And so Tuesday was like my big break. I finally got in on the SWAT team, and, and they have shooting. And it's like, yes, I can shoot again. But then I found myself getting nervous. Like, I started dying. I'm like, man, I haven't really shot a gun in, it's been 10 years. Like, this June of 2011 will be my 10-year anniversary of coming back from my last deployment. We come to the shooting range. The dudes are like, all right, man, here. Just take my M4 and go knock yourself out. And I was like, ah, oh. you know, I, like suddenly the whole weight of the, the reputation of the whole SEAL teams is upon me now. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, man. And then they want me to start from like way back. That's so I'm like, oh, man. And so I start, I shoot a couple rounds. I'm nervous. I just put a bunch down range. I'm like, am I even hit paper, guys? I'm like, this is really kind of embarrassing. Like, I, you know, in my mind, I have shot hundreds and hundreds of thousands of rounds. In my mind, I am a perfect shot. But you give me a 10-year break, and what happens with my hands and the eye, my, my eyes don't seem to be as good as they used to be. 
And so I'm like doing all of this stuff. And I'm like, man, in here? Like I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but it's just not working. It was terribly frustrating. And I certainly have never been God. Like I can know the guy who created the whole world, every one of us. Now he's a baby who's like, ooh, what's this feeling in my ah? <laughs> like this is this is pretty pathetic. If I want food, I gotta cry till this lady takes care of me. And she doesn't know how to do this quite yet. And there's some work in kinks. Like he subjected himself to go through the things that we go through. And so when Hebrews says we don't have a high priest that doesn't understand, we have a God that understands everything that we go through. And I love the fact that he came to us and he reached out to us. He became one of us. And we as Christians are called to go to those that don't know Jesus. February is a big month for us. Like I'm probably the only guy in this room that if I drop the ball on Valentine's Day, I'll be okay. Because my wife's birthday is in the middle part of December. We got married on February 2nd. We have a child on February 8th. So there's, and then there's Christmas in between there. So there's like, I can definitely like stack the deck to kind of fly through Valentine's Day. I didn't plan. No, it's true. It's true. It's true. She's, um, it's all contingent on everything. <laughs> but so this, so this Wednesday was our nine year anniversary and we flew up to San Francisco for 24 hours. We got great Southwest airline tickets. We, we got there Wednesday late afternoon. We spent the day and then, then Thursday the next morning. We basically had time to get lunch. We timed it so we could get lunch and then basically booked to, you know, go catch the bar. And so I'm there on one of the little, at the Fisherman's Wharf, there's like all the little shops by the bread place and, and uh, we got a thing of clam chowder and, and a, a, a crab, which we haven't had. Like, Anna never had it. I haven't had it a long time. And I'm like, i got to get a crab in honor of my favorite show, The Deadliest Catch, you know, in honor of those men. And so, but I'm like, man, we're on a time crunch. And we're in the line, or I'm in the line. Anna found a table. So I'm in the line, and there's this Asian lady in front of me. And she was taking forever. Like, forever. She was obviously not from the United States. And I started getting like a little bit like, come on, I got to get to that bar here. I want to enjoy this. Crab's messy and I want to enjoy it. I don't want to just scarf it because I'll miss pieces. And so I'm getting like, and she's going on and on. And then she's asking the guy, she's like, clam chowder. Like, and she's already paid. Now she's looking at the clam chowder. And by this time, God's already working on me. And she says, chowder, is that... Is that a Mexican word, chowder? And the guy's like, oh, no, it's, she's like, is it like juice? And the guy behind the counter's like, yeah, it's juice. I'm like, oh, come on, I love clam chowder. It's my favorite soup. I've got to intervene at this point. I'm like, no, it's not, it's not juice, soup. And then the guy's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, oh, soup, soup. I'm like, yeah, chowder, it's, it's, like milky, creamy soup that's delicious. There's clams and potatoes. I love it. And it's in this bowl. And so she's like, oh, thank you very much. And I'm like, well, where are you from? Because I'm starting to remember. I'm like, man, it wasn't long that Richard and I were like, you know, <laughs> fumbling our way through Beijing. She's like, oh, I'm from Shanghai, China. And I was like, oh, ni hao. And she's like, oh, ni hao. And I'm like, yeah, xie xie. That means thank you. And so then I got my three Chinese words out. And this whole lady's disposition 
changed. And she's like, oh, thank you very much. I'm like, oh, I was just in Beijing last year, and I know the, the, you know, the trouble of, of being in another culture. And, and, and the thing about that I'm bringing this all out is we as Christians, we need to understand other people's culture. We need to be able to step into the world, relate to them. That's what Jesus did for us. He didn't have to become man. He did. And so there's this new term that's been got popular in the last five years. It's missional. It's taken, don't ask me to explain all this stuff, but missionary. We all know the word missionary. Missionaries for years have been flying into other cultures, learning how they live and they eat, and they become like the people so that they can share gospel in a way that makes sense to them. We need to understand that their whole world, our whole culture, doesn't know Jesus. They don't know anything of the Bible. We need to be able to relate and get along and understand and understand the culture so that we can share Christ with people in the way that they understand. And it can be simple as learning a couple terms in other languages. That when you see somebody that's in our country, see, I don't know, I have no idea, like it was really insignificant. I was able to say ni hao and che she. I was happy that I didn't come out with another language. I got my right language. But for all I know is that most people that are outside of the United States just think all Americans are Christians. Like we're not all Christians. We're far from it. But and so this one friendly encounter could have led to something else for her, or she could have been open to others. I have no idea. But Jesus stepped down to become like us. And in John chapter 20, verse 21, he'd just risen from the dead. He'd been there. Like Thomas hadn't even met him yet. Thomas was going to wait. He had to wait a number of days. And Jesus looks at the, the disciples and he says, as the father sent me, so send I you. And we need to let that sink in. Jesus is God, created and sustains the universe. He was in heaven, reigning and ruling, no problem. Life is good. He became man. That is a very bad deal for God. But he did it so that we might relate to him. There, I can't tell the story well enough, but a few, few, like about a year or two years ago, Rick Restivo had these videos from a men's ministry. And this guy was describing the, the incarnation of God becoming man, but he used it from our perspective that there was a horse that had died and that there were a bunch of maggots starting to eat away the horse. And it was a men's conference, so it probably won't work here. And he's like pretending to be God. He's like, oh, hey, maggots down there. I want to relate to the maggots. And so then it would be like us becoming a maggot with all the maggots, you know, kind of squirming around so that we could relate to them. That's what God did for us in becoming a man. And for us, he says, as God sent me, I'm sending you. And it's a crazy thing that God would use us to be his ambassadors, his liaisons to share the gospel. Back to this is Jesus. This is the football. John 3.16, if we could all go there. This is a verse. What's the big deal about Jesus coming and being born? Like, why did he do this? John 3.16, we know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus, a religious leader. He's like, you are the religious leader of the Jews and you've missed the most elementary teaching of scripture that humanity in Genesis chapter 3 sinned, and there's been a divide between God and man since then. And I came 
so that I could bring life, that there could be relationship established for those who believe in Jesus. He came for salvation, 1 Timothy 1.15. That's where Paul tells Timothy. It's a trustworthy statement that Jesus came to save sinners. A savior is one who saves. And the first thing we need to understand is that our sin separates us from God. God, who judges us, has stepped in our place and become our substitute. Jesus lived the perfect life without sin. The gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, to make it as clear as possible, Jesus lived the perfect life. He went to the cross. He was executed on the cross. It tells us there that it was done in according with the scriptures, meaning that it was prophesied for many, many years before. For our sins, according to scriptures, he was nailed to the cross. He died. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He walked on the earth for 40 days. Many people were able to see and verify that he did. He then ascended into heaven. So the gospel according to Ephesians chapter 1, that's the message that Jesus was your substitute. As a student in the public education system or anywhere, I used to love it when there were substitute teachers. It's like a party. I mean, you've got to watch a video or something, you know, but, but the word substitute, teacher gets sick, can't make it in, doesn't want to come in, whatever the reason. Somebody comes in in place of that teacher and then teaches on their behalf. Jesus on the cross was our substitute. We were supposed to be there to pay the penalty for our sin, which would not result in salvation. It would just be a just penalty that would separate us from God forever. He stepped in the place so that we could have life. In Acts chapter 17, turn there. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, my favorite verses. And what does this mean to you? The gospel is, it, it can, we can almost kind of get a vaccine to it, that we understand, yeah, Jesus died for me, yeah, 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 so what? It, it's not a big deal. But to think that before the world was created, that God had you in mind, he knew who you were. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, Paul at Mars Hill speaking to the Greek intellectual people. He says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times, the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. This is amazing. Think about this, your life. Think about every horrible thing that has ever happened to you. Like I have a long laundry list of bad things that have happened to me, not of my own fault. Plenty of them that were of my own fault. Think of your good times. According to this passage, we're told, each one of us, that it's no accident that you exist in 2011 and are born whatever. That this time in history that we live and this location that we live on the earth, it was foreordained by God. That this would be the sweetest spot in, in world history that you as a person could live, that you might grope for God. That's amazing. That God wants you to love him, to want him, to desire him. And he's placed you in all of these circumstances that make me think, man, I am really hard-headed that I had to go through all of this that I might grope for God. Like, I don't wish for an easier life because in that easier life, I would be plenty happy without him. 
And he has done this that I would love him, that I would want him. We know from 2 Peter 3, 9 that God desires all people to go to salvation, to become to salvation. The only reason he hasn't come judging the world is because he wants more people to turn to him. And finally, I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This little section here, I think, explains Christianity very clearly and concisely. If we start in verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins. The world's sin was placed upon him. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, that's Jesus, who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. What this verse means, how it's worked itself out of my life today, and I don't always, I'm not always perfect, and I always have, this is work. But this verse comes in mind when I'm standing behind the lady that's taken forever to order, and I have a plane to catch, and I'm so frustrated, I'm told, no, don't look at her in the flesh. You see that lady from Shanghai, China, as a person that Jesus, when he was on the cross, that he died for her, that he loves her, that he wants her to come to salvation. So the guy that cuts me off, I've gone from giving hand signals to praying for them in the course of my life. It changes everything when you don't see people according to the flesh. You see them as like that person. Bring to mind the person who most annoys you. I had so many more people that would come to mind when I was in the military. And all the people that are military are laughing suddenly. But you, you have people that you're around that drive you absolutely crazy. God wants you to say, I died for that person. I love that person. I want them to be your brother or sister in Christ. He goes on to say, verse 17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if, if you have believed in Jesus, Ephesians 1.13 says, after hearing the gospel, you're sealed with the Spirit. When you believe, boom, you're a Christian. You go from being in the body of Adam and sin to new life in Christ. You're a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Everything you've done, your sin, your shame, it's paid for. New life in Christ. Hallelujah. He goes on to say, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He says that Jesus came, reconciled, paid the penalty for our sin, that you individually could have peace with God, that you're reconciled with God, you have relationship with him. It's not just fire insurance that you walk the aisle when you were three years old and you gave your life to Jesus, then you went on your own way for the rest of your life. No. 
We give our lives. Second John two, first John two twenty eight talks about abide in Him so that when He appears, you don't have to shrink away in shame. So you're a Christian. You walk with the Lord. Sin interferes with that relationship. So we need to confess our sin to Him that we can maintain fellowship. And then after we received fellowship with God, as we have a relationship with God, then God says, you know what? Time for you to get out of the nest. It's time for you to be an ambassador for me. To begin placing people's hands that don't know me into my hand. That we would be ambassadors for Christ. Landing in San Francisco, I think, for now on will always make me laugh. When I landed there this week, flashbacks of Richard and I landing from Beijing, China. It was a rough, long flight. It was a rough trip. I'd been sick to my stomach for weeks, longing to be back in the United States. When we landed in the United States, I was so happy that I sat up, never do that. I'd only wait for the thing to go. And as I sat up, this lady from Beijing next to me threw up all over my seat. You remember that? Horrible. I was so glad. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad to be home. It's like nine in the morning. We get into the customs and I wanted to get down on my knees and just like start kissing the ground. Like I was like working on my suitcase, like just touching U.S. soil. I feel so good. Richard, let's go get a burger. And some greasy fries and just like, it's nine in the morning. We're like in the bar. Give us a burger. You know, like, oh, it was so good. An ambassador is one who lives away from their country. And they reflect their country to another country. In Philippians chapter three, we're told that our citizenship is in heaven and we're here as aliens. And unfortunately, I'm way too comfortable. You know, I confess I'm very comfortable here in this world. But as I long for the United States and Mongolia, that's how I should long for heaven. But until I get there, God says, no, you're my ambassador. You need to be a witness for me. You need to share. You need to grow. And when I first became a Christian, well, when I was going to church as an early Christian, I went to the rock. Well, I went to horizon. Then we started, they started the rock and miles McPherson. He ex pro football player, total evangelist, at every message, he would share Christ, give an invitation to come forward to receive Jesus so you could be saved from your sins. For years, I would go to multiple services. I can't tell you how many times I accepted Christ as my Savior. Every single service. And then I went to Bible college. And I'm like, wait a minute. You do this. like you get It's like a one-time gig. Well, I'm good. You know, like I don't know when it happened. I know that I'm here. But the thing is, is we're all in different places and there's so many people here. And if you want to be right with God, it's as simple as believing. And if you are a Christian and you know that you've trusted in Christ, it's about abiding and growing and being obedient to the Lord. And we do that through studying the word. That's why we teach the scriptures. This is the great discipler. This book, this, the spirit will guide us and shape us and conform us and convict us of things that no person can do. Amen. It's not fun when it happens. And so we want to grow. We want us as a church to be a church that is here reaching out to those apart from Christ, that they feel welcome, that we share the gospel with them, that we help each other in our walk with the Lord. So we'll close in prayer. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we thank you for Christ the Messiah. Father, help us to to grasp just to the, with the best of our ability to understand that, Lord, you existed in eternity forever in the past and the future.
we can't grasp life outside of time. It causes my mind to sort of shut down. But you are outside of time. You are the creator and sustainer of all things. And Lord, to think that Jesus came being God, he became man. He suffered as we do. He was tempted as we are, but without sin. That he lived the perfect life, that in trusting in him, you no longer see our sin, you see the perfect life of Christ. And Father, we pray as we abide in Christ, as we walk with him, Lord, you would help us along our way. Father, I pray that you would grow us in our relationship with you. Father, where we fall short, we pray that you would, Lord, that you would guide us, that your spirit would convict us. Father, we pray that you would grow us in our fellowship with other Christians, that we would come alongside each other and encourage one another, that we would help each other during these difficult times. And Father, we do thank you, Lord, that you are at work in our lives. We're thankful for the work that you're doing here at this church. And we, uh, Lord, we just look forward to the day when we can praise you all the day long. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.